The Jordan 3 is one of the most coveted Jordan silhouettes of all time. But did you know that it saved Jordan brand? We'll get into that this week on Fire Footwear. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Fire Footwear. As always, this is your host, Matt Freights. I hope that this is finding you well, that you have had a great week since we last spoke, and I hope that you are ready for some fire content as always. First thing before we get started, I wanna remind you that we started a YouTube channel. It is definitely in its infancy. There is a trailer, and there is one little piece of fun editing that I did last week. I'm hopeful that in the month of April, I will be able to start doing a little bit more regular content, but I don't want it to be a retread of what we are doing here. I want to make sure that it is worth your time and that it is something special compared to this podcast. So please take a look in the show notes and you can find the link to the YouTube channel there. Go subscribe and make sure that you are notified every time that I come out with new content. Last week, we talked about the Air Max one. I mean, it is March, it is Air Max month. And so I feel like we should be talking about the Air Max because it is a shoe that is very much a part of Nike's history and Nike's story as to how they got here. I think a lot of times when we talk about sneaker culture, we focus on brands such as Nike, but I think we focus more on Jordan brand. We focus more on the Yeezys of the world. There are a lot of different brands that make up sneaker culture. And while the Air Max One is definitely a shoe that releases quite often, I don't think that it is a shoe that gets put on the Mount Rushmore in terms of best silhouettes of all time. And while the history of it is fascinating to find out about the air technology and that it was the first shoe designed by Tinker Hatfield, but also the first shoe that had visible air technology, I used it as a vehicle to get to this episode. And if you've been listening to me long enough by now, you know that I generally try to weave a little narrative and all of it has to fit together. And sometimes there are stories in the news and sneaker news anyway, that lend itself to learning a little bit about the culture. And this week we had a release that is probably the most anticipated release of the year. It may end up being sneaker of the year. It depends on how you feel about it. But on March 11th, the release of the Jordan 3 Reimagined came out. If you remember, last year we talked about the history of the Jordan 1 and it was because the Jordan 1 Lost and Found was being released and that was one of the biggest sneakers of 2022. There is really no denying that unequivocally it was one of the best sneakers even if it didn't make my sneaker of the year rank. The whole idea behind it was a reimagined look and for the Lost and Found, what they were tapping into was that if you found a shoe in a mom and pop store in the back, It was almost as if you found a time capsule. That's really what they were going for. And while the idea was unique at the time, and some people, maybe the old heads, felt like it was a little bit too cheesy, and you know in the back of your mind, if they hit a home run with the Jordan 1 Chicago lost and found, which you knew that they were, because anytime a Jordan 1 Chicago releases, people are going to buy it, that they are then going to saturate the market by taking a whole bunch of Jordan retros and giving it the reimagined treatment. And a lot of people, I think, were skeptical as to what that saturation was going to look like. Now, just with anything, let's take Ama Manier, for instance. And I know that I pick on Ama Manier a lot when it comes to this kind of thing, but I think that they are the perfect example because when you take a brand like that and you take an idea, the very first thing that they come out with that really hits a home run is a home run. And the next one usually is a home run. You don't see too many sophomore slumps in terms of sneaker collaborations. You do sometimes, but I think for the most part, once a sneaker brand gets it and they work with Jordan Brand, they work with Nike and they hit a home run, they then kind of know the formula and they stick to it. And in the case of Amamanier, they kind of hit more than one home run in a row. 
They hit one, two, three, maybe even four home runs in a row. It depends on how you feel about the Jordan 2. And now they're coming out with a Jordan 5 and maybe fatigue is setting in. And so when it comes to being reimagined, the Jordan 1 Chicago was going to be a hit. It definitely was a hit. The execution was excellent. And then the Jordan 3 reimagined started surfacing and people wondered what that was going to look like. And I have to tell you that looking at the photos, I think it was almost a better execution. It was basically taking the Jordan 3 white cement which is one of the most iconic shoes of all time, and giving it just a little bit of an age treatment, giving that box the age look, it was again like finding a time capsule. And it was a shoe that sold out. And I have to tell you a funny story about this. At 10.33 a.m. on Saturday morning, I remembered that there was gonna be a release of this shoe. What kind of a sneakerhead am I? I flat forgot about the biggest release of the year making breakfast for the family, sipping my coffee. Yeah, maybe it's a little late to be sipping coffee, but I like to have a pot of coffee and sip it throughout the morning up until lunchtime. And I just flat forgot. My day got consumed by other things. And as a sneakerhead, I just want you to know, you have my permission to do other things and forget about sneakers from time to time. I do want you to listen to this show, but it's okay to forget about sneaker releases, even if they are the biggest of the year, because at the end of the day, hey, they're just sneakers. The hype around this shoe was huge, and you knew that it was going to be. I mean, the Jordan 3 White Cement is one of the most iconic shoes. So, of course, sneaker culture is going to gravitate toward it. They're going to buy it up. Old heads, of course, are going to love it because it represents the old times. It represents the actual OG of Jordan brand. And new heads are going to like it because it's hype. And so you kind of marry these two things together and you get basically a perfect storm of a release. But I think it's important to look at that release, not just in saying that it's a great release. And don't get me wrong. It is an objectively great looking shoe. I would have loved to have it in my collection. C'est la vie, as they say, I will move on. But I think the history of the Jordan 3 is really important for us to break down here because I think if you are new to the sneaker game and you haven't done your research, you may not know that the Jordan 3 is really the linchpin which held Jordan brand together and made Nike go to the stratosphere because it kept Michael Jordan with the company. If you go back to the Jordan 2, what Nike was going for with the Jordan 2 was luxury and really some type of exclusivity. With all of the quality features, all the Italian leather, they were trying to make it a luxury shoe. In the end though, what they're creating it for is an athlete. And at that time in 1986, they were creating it for athletes that didn't really care that much about fashion. It was really about function. And at that time, Michael Jordan had an injury or he was coming off an injury. And so they created the Jordan 2 sort of trying to do a little bit too much with it. The Jordan 2 looks nothing like a lot of the silhouettes around it. And that is because it was not designed by the person that we know designed all of the other shoes after it almost. So here we are in 1986 and the Jordan 3 is behind schedule. And why is that? Well, because Peter Moore, who was the creator of the Jordan 1, and Rob Strasser, who was a marketing VP for Nike, they both left and they started their new company and a new company that was trying to woo Michael Jordan to them. This is a huge thing, because if you remember when we talked about the Jordan 1, Michael Jordan coming out of college didn't want to sign with Nike. He was an Adidas guy. And in today's culture, sometimes we have Nike heads and we have Adidas heads. Sometimes you like your brands and you stick to your brands and there's nothing wrong with that. Michael Jordan was a 20-something-year-old kid, and he liked what he liked. We all like those things. We have brand recognition. We have brand loyalty to things. Michael was that guy. But when it came down to the business sense of it, his mom made him go to the meeting with Nike, and they sold him on the Jordan 1 and being an athlete for Nike. 
But now that confidence was waning, at least from Michael Jordan's perspective. I don't think that he felt like the cornerstone of Nike. So the Jordan 3 was really a big deal because Michael really didn't want to stay. And Peter Moore and Rob Strasser are trying to get him to leave to come to their new fledgling company. And maybe he doesn't make it there, but he ends up at Adidas. Man, so many things could have been different. So they bring in Tinker Hatfield. And remember, last week I talked about Tinker Hatfield being responsible for the Air Max 1, being responsible for taking that risk of the air unit that was exposed. And all of the background around that with his architecture background and looking at a building in Paris and wanting to show the inside on the outside, there are so many things that are fascinating about it. But I use that as a vehicle to get to Tinker Hatfield designed that shoe, hit a home run with that shoe, and he was given the keys to this very large endeavor. Basically, if you're Nike executives, you're telling Tinker Hatfield, we are giving you the assignment to keep Michael Jordan at our brand. That is a lot of pressure, especially knowing that they're six months behind, especially knowing that Michael's not happy with the last shoe. So Tinker Hatfield comes in and he needs to make a statement. They know that he made a statement by taking a risk with the Air Max one. It was a huge success. But right now, Jordan brand is not really a thing and Nike needs to keep Michael at the company. So what does Tinker Hatfield do? He does something that I think is not that crazy, but obviously was crazy at the time. He goes directly to Michael to get direct feedback. Hey, Michael, Tinker here. I'm designing the next Jordan for you. I want to know, what do you want? Think about that for a second. He's getting Michael's opinion. You want to keep Michael at the company? Design a shoe that he's going to like. And how do you do that? You get his direct feedback. So he does that. Michael tells him basically three things. I want a mid top, not a high top. The last two Jordans were high tops. The one and the two were high tops. And that was what a lot of players were wearing. And I think the high top was very similar to what a lot of athletes were wearing in the NBA at that time. Michael wanted to go away from that. He wanted a shoe that would break in very, very easily with nice, supple leather. And number three, he wanted something sophisticated. He wanted it to pop. And the Jordan 2 did kind of check that box, but not with all the other aesthetics on it. The Jordan 2 was trying a little bit too hard. It needed something that was a little bit more Michael, a little bit more Michael Jordan, but also something that could appeal to the masses. The Jordan 2 didn't really do that. So Tinker takes that feedback and says, okay, let me go do my thing. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. They're six months late. So here we go. Tinker Hatfield shoots his shot and they have a meeting with Michael Jordan. Well, Michael Jordan is late to this presentation, four hours as a matter of fact, and why? Because he was playing golf with Peter Moore and Rob Strasser. Talk about stressful. Apparently, Michael shows up to the meeting late and he's kind of going through the motions. They felt like maybe he wasn't really invested in this and maybe they'd already lost him. So they did something else risky. They let Tinker Hatfield, the designer, make the presentation. As soon as he takes the veil off of the shoe, Michael is there. And there's a couple things that the Jordan 3 did that not only really set the tone for the rest of Jordan brand, but really it kept Michael at the company because it really created Jordan brand. The thing most important about the Jordan 3 was the Jumpman logo. And we all know that that was inspired by an ad in which he made that famous pose, a 1984 ad. And by putting that prominently on the tongue, it let Michael know that you are the future of the brand. We are putting you first and foremost, front and center at the forefront of Jordan brand. This is your company. This is your brand moving forward. And then all the other things that he wanted were checked off on this. The Jordan 3 black and white cements were great looking shoes. I mean, think about shoes that can actually stand the test of time for almost 40 years. Kids now will wear them because they are still cool. All the iterations of the Jordan 3. Everything about it was a home run and it kept Michael Jordan at the company. He signed an extension after that 
And the rest now is history. Michael first started being cited in the Jordan 3 in November of 1987. He wore the white and black cements, of course, which were released in 1988, but he was very famous for wearing them over All-Star Weekend in 1988. Famously wore the white cements for that free throw dunk, and then you had the free throw one, which had the little line underneath on the outsole. That was really, really cool. He wore the black cements during the All-Star game and throughout that season. And it's interesting because there was a huge marketing campaign which saw Spike Lee as Mars Blackman, which was from a movie. I can't remember what it was called. I probably should know that, but I'm sorry, I don't. And really, the Jordan 3 took off not just with Michael, but with the masses. And at $100, it was expensive, but apparently not too expensive for people to buy it. So it blew up. The Jordan 3 worked. It did everything it needed to do. Most importantly, it kept Michael at the company. Back in 1988, there were four OG colorways, the white and black cements, which we've already talked about. There were the fire reds and the true blues. Ironically, Michael wore three of those in a game, and it wasn't until 2001 during his run with the Wizards, which I know, I know, it didn't happen. But unfortunately, in this case, it did happen. He didn't wear the true blues until 2001. I would say the Jordan 3 is probably one of the most retro shoes out there. If you look at the list, the collaborations that have been had, my goodness, there are so many of them. And I think one of the most famous ones was the Dornbecker 3. They even re-released that one. And the Dornbecker series is really something that's close to me because of just how great it is and the charitable work that it does. And so for a shoe to re-release, it tells you that it really hit a home run. There's other famous ones, the Cool Grays, the Black Cats. One of my personal favorites is when they came out with the Tinker series. I want to say it was like 2017 or 2018. And those were supposed to mimic the original sketches and they had a swoosh on them. And that was another thing that the Jordan 3 did. It went away from the swoosh. You saw visible air unit. You saw the elephant print. Some of these things were building on innovations that Nike had already done. Some of them were new steps forward. Whatever it did, all of it worked. And so the white cement reimagine, that's the history of it. That's how it became so hype. I mean, if you think about everything that has happened, the Jordan 3 has really done a lot of things. On a personal level, I have to tell you that Jordan 3 probably isn't my favorite Jordan. I recognize the history and I always liken it to when you are getting older and your music is getting older, you want the younger generation to at least respect what your music did for their music. So for me growing up, I wasn't a huge Beatles fan. I wasn't a huge Elvis fan, but I do appreciate what they did for the genre and I can understand and respect what they have done for music as a whole. And it's kind of the same thing here. If you're young in this game or you're new in this game, know this history. I think it's important, again, to know where we came from to understand why we are here. And so I thought that it was cool to kind of take a little bit of a deep dive there. I hope that you definitely were able to get some of these shoes if you wanted them. But don't forget, if you don't get them, just move on. There is always going to be another shoe. There will always be more shoes. Nike, Adidas, Reebok, they're all going to make more shoes because as long as we are buying them, they are going to continue making them and we're just going to continue to have more and more. And so there will be more reimagined. But the Jordan 3 with all of its history, it is steeped in history for Nike. It saved so many things and it got us to where we are today, really, because it kept Michael at the company. And so you could have the Jordan 4s, 5s, 11s. And that's the thing. The Jordan 3, probably, if you're making a Mount Rushmore of Jordan silhouettes and if you were to go out doing it family feud style and you were to pull 100 sneakerheads on the street and ask them this question, where would they rank these? You're going to probably hear Jordan 1, Jordan 3, Jordan 4, Jordan 11 in some order. And it doesn't matter what order. I don't quite frankly care. It doesn't matter how you rank them, how I rank them. They're all great. And you like what you like and I like what I like and let's move on. And that's another theme for kind of the rest of this month and just kind of going forward. But I thought it was really cool. I'd love to know what you think of it. But first, we have a little bit of business. 
release of the week where I talk about a shoe release that I think is important to me. It's not necessarily going to be hype, but hey, you know what? It's something that I think that you should know about because it's either personal to me or just a damn fire shoe. And we are going to go to Reebok. Now, if you are old like me, you remember Reebok with your mom and people of that age wearing them to aerobics classes. Reebok came out of Adidas and not a lot of people know that, but Reebok had a time. And I know that they are having a little bit more of a time because there's so many retros. But for me, Reebok is what started me down the path of sneaker headdom. And it wasn't something that would manifest itself until 2018 when I actually had money to buy sneakers. But when I was a kid, there was one pair of shoes that I always wanted, and it was the Reebok Pump. And on March 17th, Reebok is putting out what's called the Rec Center Pack, and it's got the Pump Omni Zone 2 and the Question Low. And both of these are absolute fire. I love the question. They're basketball shoe. I appreciate them. I love them. I could never wear them recreationally in terms of my outfit. I could wear them playing basketball, but I don't really play a lot of basketball. So there's not a lot of point in me buying them. These are two very, very fire shoes. But for me personally, the pump was the first shoe that my parents, actually, it was the only shoe that my parents bought me. And I felt so cool. And the other day I was listening to the Sneak This podcast, and I know that there is a lot of hate on Twitter for a lot of these big time sneaker podcasts or big time content creators, but I just wanna say something. To me, sneakers is about the community. And I know I've honed in on that lately, and I think that it's very, very important. But the Sneak This podcast was talking about why people get into sneakers in the first place. And I know that they made fun of people saying that it's a way to express themselves. People that have a story way, way, way back, and we're talking about going back to when you were kids, and one of the guys on there talking about how it was an icebreaker. When he was a kid and he went to a new school, the sneakers would be the icebreaker. They would get him into groups. They would get him asked to play sports and things like that. And that was the way that he made friends. And he had a lot of these friends for life. And sneakers, if you are somebody who has those memories, then you wore sneakers for a different reason than a lot of people wear them today. I think in today's social media market, people wear sneakers because they can get a lot of clicks and hype. And maybe I'm guilty of that because I know that I have some hype shoes and I post them on the internet. But I will say this, I don't think that I do it for clout, but maybe I do. And it's something that I need to think about. But I went back in time and thought about what was the shoe that got me into this? And it was the Reebok pump. It was a shoe that was huge in the early 90s. There was a lot of athlete endorsement behind it. It was really, really awesome. I did an episode last year sometime about some of the most forgotten or underrated silhouettes of all time. And I think it was a lot of those trainers, a lot of the a lot of the early 90s silhouettes that a lot of people forget about. The Reebok pump is a shoe that I've never forgotten about. And I remember my mom finally buying it for me. And it was just kind of a it was a big moment because my mom was not into buying things like that. We just didn't have the kind of money to throw away on shoes like that. They had to think about their finances and they were paying for a lot of different things that until I was older, I didn't really get. Now that I'm a parent, now that I'm taking care of a child, I know how much goes into it. It's an expensive venture, man. So for me to be able to have all this, for me to be able to podcast and buy sneakers and stuff, I'm a very, very fortunate man. And I hope that that comes out in this because I think it's important to always stay humble and remember where you came from. And so when you hear an opinion from another sneakerhead or maybe a content creator, always take it with where they came from because that's always going to cloud their opinion or it's going to help form their opinion. Clouding their opinion would make it sound negative, but it's gonna form their opinion. Our life has made us who we are today. And so for those people, when they think about those childhood memories and they see a lot of people, new people like me, maybe getting into the game for all the wrong reasons, I can understand why they're frustrated. And so I use that to tell you that as a sneaker content creator here, I don't wanna be something that I'm not. I wanna be myself. I always wanna be Matt Freights, this version of myself. And I wear sneakers for my own reasons. And whether you like me for that or not, 
it's really irrelevant to me. I want to connect with you about the shoes. And I think that people like the Sneak This podcast and other people, that's what they really want to do. And we're all in a different place in our journey. So just remember, though, we're all in it for the same reason. So going back, is the Jordan 3 your favorite Jordan of all time? I'd love to know. And if Tinker Hatfield hadn't created it, what brand do you think Jordan would have ended up with? Would it have been the new brand that Peter Moore started? Would it have been Adidas? I'd love to hear from you. Connect with the show. Instagram at FireFootwearPod is the handle to find me on Instagram. I get a lot of connection there, a lot of DMs. The show is on Facebook. Search FireFootwear, a sneaker podcast. You can find it there. On Twitter, two handles, at FireFootwearPod is the handle for this show. And at Maddie Ice Freights is my personal handle on there. As I said at the top of the show, YouTube, the link will be in the show notes. If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, do not forget to hit follow. Do not forget to rate the show. It keeps us charting. It keeps us connecting. If you have any questions or comments for me outside of the other methods that I mentioned, firefootwearpod at gmail.com is the email to do that. And do not forget to visit the Matty Ice Media Network homepage, www.mattyicemedia.com. You can find the other podcasts that are part of my network. You can buy some merch, support us. We're doing a lot of hard work to bring you the fire content. I hope that this finds you well. I hope that this finds you safe. I will talk to you next week. And as always, this is Fire Footwear. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Fire Footwear are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Fire Footwear is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.